The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. We are. We are. We are Cultivate. 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 We are Cultivate. Welcome to a Weird Distractions Yield Crime Crossover. It is on. We've got two very interesting true crime cases discussed today. If you're not sure who you're listening to right now, I'm Alex, host of Weird Distractions, and I'm joined by the lovely Lindsay from Yield Crime. It's me. It's a me, Lindsay. <laughs> Lindsay. <laughs> With a murder. <laughs> With the crazy things. <laughs> yeah. Typically on my show, we'd get into what we need a distraction from, but I'm going to say, yeah, let's just let's just get into it because I hear you have a very interesting case. You actually reached out to me and were like, we need to talk about this on someone's show. Yeah. So this is a doozy. And because it takes place in the 1980s, mm. which is, you know- 80 years past my typical timeline. That's also part of why I wanted to do a collab. But shall we transport ourselves back to the 80s and get into it? I mean, absolutely. I was a blink in my parents' eyes back in the 80s, so I'm ready to hear about all the things that happened before my birth. (laughs) (laughs) I was one when this happened, so... Woo! So my memory of it is crystal clear. <laughs> yeah, remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> the evening of March 18th, 1984, would mark the start of one of the most bizarre unsolved cases to ever take place in Japan. Ooh, I got chills already. I know. At 9 p.m., three kidnappers hidden behind masks and armed with guns broke into the Nishinomiya home of the president and CEO of the Izaki Glico Company, 42-year-old Katsuhisa Izaki. The company, which is more commonly known as Glico, is famous for selling sweets, most notably Pocky. Are you familiar oh. with Pocky? Isn't that like the strawberry-dipped... Okay, yep, yeah, like the sticks. Yep, yep, okay. Yep. So they sell pretty much everything, such as hamburger meat and ice cream, in addition to their sweets. Wait, what? (laughs) Yeah. So, like, they're kind of, like, in Japan, more of, like, a a grocery, like, a a broader grocery-type brand. Okay. Obviously, for importing, we wouldn't import meat from Japan, but Pocky is super easy to import, and it's one of their most famous things. They're dipping it and doing it. Fair enough. (laughs) Yep. And their products are crafted with oyster glycogen, which is said to have a health-boosting effect. Okay. Well. Just a fun um, fact. 
That's, it sounds like it's jelly. Like it sounds, I picture it like a jelly substance for some reason. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know how that works for everything or like shellfish allergies, yeah. but you know, you do Go you. Off. Click yeah. on. <laughs> Izaki's kidnappers force their way into the residence after first breaking into the home of his mother. Whoa, rude. Yeah. They left her bound and gagged in her home before using her spare keys to enter the home of her son, who lived next door. That's just really offensive. Like, the whole, I mean, obviously, this is going to be offensive and rude and awful and terrible, but did they really have to gag her? Like, was that necessary? Yeah, like, if her son is 42, we can assume she's, like, an older woman. Yeah. What is she going to do? I'm, I'm I'm sure part of it was they just didn't want her screaming and, like, alerting her son to what's going on. But at I the guess. same time, it's like, don't gag little old ladies. That's yeah, don't nice. gag little old ladies. That, that needs to be, <laughs> like, one of the Ten Commandments. Don't gag little old ladies. There's no no need. It's unnecessary. Just don't do it. Just don't it's not a good it. look. <laughs> <laughs> Looks real bad on you. <laughs> Once inside, they bound and gagged his wife and daughter before dragging him out of the bath. Oh, poor man was scrub-a-dub-dubbing. He gets dragged I out. Know. Oh, that's just, okay, trauma. They left his family behind, unable to call for help after cutting the phone lines before Ooh. shoving him naked into a vehicle that was outside. So they're just like, all right, here we go. Like, <laughs> I would be so pissed. I would be so angry because bath time for me is when I relax. It's when I, you know, am chilling, get some Epsom salts in there, a little bit of vanilla scented mm-hmm. bubble bath, maybe a light a candle if you're feeling really stressed. And the fact they're just like, let's drag you out and shove you in a van. By the way, we've gagged every woman in your life that you care about. Right. <laughs> It's like the opposite of what you want during pastime. His kidnappers gave him a coat and ski hat as they transported him to a warehouse in Ibaraki near the river docks where they announced their demands. So at least they put something on him. Barely, but yep. (laughs) Yeah. The waist down, he's just... Freeballing it. (laughs) Freeballing it. Referring to themselves as the monster with 21 faces... They wanted 1 billion yen, which equates to about $9 million, as well as 220 pounds of gold bouillon. The ransom letter had been found in a nearby phone booth. It, isn't bouillon like the stuff you use in like chicken stock? Like, isn't that the brand name? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it is, I but do. I think bouillon is also like when gold is in like the brick form. Like, yes. I could be wrong. I believe. I could be I could be wrong, but I feel like it's like the bars of gold. I mean, it sounds which, correct to me, but it's all granulated gold and like little jars. Yep. <laughs> the huge ransom amount, not to mention the high-profile kidnap victim, intrigued and confused the people of Japan. Crime rates in the country were particularly low, and what little crimes there were were dealt with quickly by the police. In mm. fact, there were only 27 reported kidnappings in the whole of Japan in 1983, and the police had solved 97% of all murder cases, making them one of the most effective wow. police forces in the world. 
Wow, that is that's amazing. I know, right? Like Can that's crazy. That? No shade to police forces, but damn, it is possible. I know. And I don't know if it's changed since the 80s, but that's pretty Still. impressive statistics. Well, especially in a time where, you know, forensic technology isn't where it's at today, right? The fact that mm-hmm. they have those stats and they're like, yeah, we we do it. Again, no shade to police forces, but still. Ooh-y. Well, they didn't have like cell phones, pinging locations no. and tracking and all that kind of stuff. Like that's impressive. That's very impressive. This elusive organization was able to avoid police capture like nothing the Japanese police had ever encountered before. The Osaka-based extortion ring seemingly crafted their name from a shape-shifting thief in a 1936 detective novel titled The Fiend with the Twenty Faces by Mm. Edogawa Rampo. The pseudonym was used by Harai Tairo and based on the Japanese translation of Edgar Allan Poe's name. Oh, spooky. Okay. I see you. I I know. Spooky little, little thing. Here's how the novel starts. Quote, In recent days in the city called Tokyo, in every neighborhood and in every house, whatever two or more people are gathered, they talk about the mystery man with the 20 faces, just as naturally as if they would talk about the weather. 20 Faces is the nickname of a mysterious robber who has been stirring up the newspapers every day. It is said that this thief has 20 completely different faces. Hmm. That is, he is extraordinarily adept at shifting disguises. Creepy. No matter how bright the place and no matter how closely you observe him, it is impossible to detect his artifice. He looks like an entirely different person in each of his disguises, so it is said an old man or a youth, a captain of industry or a beggar, a scholar or an illiterate nay, even a woman, they say he has the ability to completely transform himself into the person he has chosen. Hmm. And not one person has seen which face is his true face, and no one knows his true age. Among the 20 kinds of faces he possesses, which is the real one no one knows? Yes, perhaps even the thief himself has forgotten his true face, end quote. I am picturing Face Off featuring (laughs) Nicolas Cage. That is the vibe that I am picking up from that quote. I also was picturing like Aya Stark from Game of Thrones. Yeah. Girl has no name. Girl has no name. Yeah, that's creepy. I mean smart for the the person but it's it's giving me the heebie-jeebies to say it is spooky yep so this case which is known as the glico morinaga case or metropolitan designated case 114 is the first case where japan's national police agency or the npa were unable to make a single arrest that's got to piss them off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, straight up. That's going <laughs> to infuriate the hell out of them. They're like, our stats are so good. But that fucking case, that that one case in general. Yeah. Just, oh, I'd be so mad. I'd be so curious. I would, too. The extortion ring would continuously taunt the police, members of Glico, and the media by sending over 100 letters mocking the police over the next year and a half 
following the kidnapping of Azaki. Ooh. Didn't, um, not the Golden State Killer. <sighs> Who is the one serial killer in the States that would always send in, like, mocking letters? Was it Golden State? Joseph D'Angelo? No. Or am I thinking it- of the one? I feel like it hasn't been solved yet. I feel like Jack the Ripper did it. Yep. And was it Zodiac? That did that's, it? yep, it was the Zodiac because that's when he's with, yeah. You know, you don't have to do that kind of stuff. You could just, yeah, you know, let them be and not harass them. I mean, I mean, I, good for them in the sense of it might lead to more clues of who you are, but also it just, you just come off like a, a like a, like a, a dick. Yeah. yeah you come <laughs> off like an ass. Like, my God, we get it. You're smart. Mm, you're clever. Mm, cool yeah. For, good for you. Following Izaki's kidnapping, roadblocks were established around Osaka, and the city was put on lockdown as the NPA searched for him. Their searches turned up nothing until Izaki was able to somehow escape after being held for 65 hours. Rough. He would have been all pruny and stuff for a little bit, too. Depending on how long yeah. he was in the bath for. Oh, that'd be so uncomfortable. Yeah. And like, what if he got out of the bath and he has dry skin and then he was like held without his moisture? Oh, just the inconvenience and the trauma alone. On yeah, top how of that, they gave him clothes. Yeah. Like during those clothes. 65 hours. Yeah. And just some lubiderm. Just give the guy some pants. Yeah. You know. Maybe a blanket. He stated he'd been able to loosen his bonds and kick down a door before escaping on foot. After getting the attention of two railway employees, he was able to phone his family and the police. Everyone was relieved to see him alive and unharmed following his harrowing ordeal, all without the crazy ransom being paid. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Marilyn Ivy, who was associate professor of anthropology at the University of Washington, stated in a paper that the letters that would become synonymous with this case fell within four subcategories, threat letters, written challenges, warning letters, and end of hostility letters. Mm, end of hostility. Yeah, kind of okay. like a we're done type of letters. Like, Yeah, it's, okay. It's weird. Like, like a weird breakup letter. A Dear John letter. <laughs> yeah. One of the first threat letters published April 8th, 1984, read, quote, to the stupid police. Whoa. Okay. Are you idiots? What are you doing with so many people? If you were pros, you would catch us. Because you guys have such a high handicap, we're going to give you some hints. Okay. Wasn't an inside job. There weren't any of us within the police. Also, none within the Mizubo Kumiai, or the union that owned the warehouse where the president was imprisoned. Okay. The car we used was gray. We bought our food at Dai Supermarket, which is a large chain. If you want to learn more, put an ad in the newspaper. If you oh. can't catch us, after this much info, you guys are just thieves of the taxpayer's money. Should we also kidnap the head of the prefectural police? End quote. You can't see my face right now, but my jaw is dropped. That is ballsy. And I just, my narcissistic alarm is going off. Like, you guys are so stupid. You can't catch us. We're doing amazing. Here's some clues that would obviously catch us if you were like, oh my gosh. 
What? Mm-hmm. Ugh. Newspapers would print these and other letters that came in over the following months, all signed with Kaijin Nijuishi Menso, which roughly translates to the mystery men with 21 faces in English. Over time, the phrase would be translated to the monster with 21 faces. The letters would include taunts, red herrings to throw police off the scent, and jokes. Many of the letters were sent directly to the press, not the police. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. But this wouldn't be the end of things for Izaki or the Glicko Company. Hmm. Three weeks after Izaki's escape from the extortion ring's clutches, six vehicles parked in front of Glicko's corporate offices were set on fire. Whoa. Okay. A short while after this, a container containing hydrochloric acid and a threatening note addressed to Izaki were found in the warehouse where he had been held captive. Ooh. Okay. So they're like, we're just going to keep adding very deadly things to the rest of your life because you escaped? Yeah. Okay. That's not fun. Two fires broke out at Glico plants and were believed to be the work of arsonists when an anonymous caller told the company that the harassment would stop following a $1.3 million payoff. Oh, so they're back with the money again. I see how they work. Ugh. It wasn't long before the real motive behind the Monster with 21 Faces group was revealed. Remember earlier how I mentioned that Glico's products contained oyster glycogen that was described and sold as having health benefits? Yeah. And I said it sounds like it would be a glob and and now I'm thinking it's all wet and stuff. Yes. (laughs) In mid-May 1984, the extortion ring began sending letters to various news outlets in Osaka claiming that the products that Glico claimed were so healthy were in fact the opposite, even going so far as saying that candies they produced were laced with cyanide. Ooh, okay. Not great. That's not a health benefit. <laughs> no, By that is means. the opposite of a health benefit. Yeah, that's that's a death benefit, if you want to call it that. Yeah. As you can imagine, this news caused panic amongst the public, Retailers of Glico products frantically removed them from their stores and urged their customers to return any products they may have recently purchased. Hmm. In total, this massive recall cost Glico around $21 million, not only resulting in a huge financial loss, but the company's stocks plummeted and they were forced to lay off 1,000 workers. Wow. Holy smokes. Yeah. Worst of all, during an analysis of the candy, not a single trace of cyanide was found. Of course. Of course. Yep. As if this wasn't bad enough, a copycat extortionist was also terrorizing the food industry. A 42-year-old man was charged after trying to extort $214,000 from the Tokyo Coca-Cola bottling company after threatening that he'd lace the drinks with cyanide. Okay, first of all, no one messes with Coca-Cola, okay? I am a Coca-Cola stand, and I don't stand mm-hmm. for any slander or fakeness on this. Second of all, like, why why pick on the food industry, period, full stop, when they're giving you food? Like, they're putting 
products out there that you ingest and you indulge in. And like, what? I just, it's just a weird yeah. entity to bully. You know, I yeah. get it if they're corrupt as hell. And I mean, I'm sure many big food things are corrupt. But regardless, pick some, pick someone else. Pick a politician for crying out loud. Or like some sort of company that's damaging the environment or something. Yeah. You know, like. Yeah. Not. Something. Leave Coke alone. Yeah, leave Coke alone. The drink and the substance. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do Coke, children. Don't do Coke, children. That's my PSA for the day. The president of Kirin Brewery, Hideo Motoyama, stated, quote, The Glico case is very much our concern, too. If this kind of crime is left unpunished, there will be no stable operation of food companies, end quote. Yeah, absolutely. Like, hey, don't pick on them because realistically. And the other thing, too, and I don't think people understand how much a company like that feeds into the economic buildup of a society, right? Like if if one major factory, for example, goes out of business, well, let's say that business or that factory, sorry, has 500 people in employees, well, that's 500 people without jobs. Yeah. That's people not paying or able to afford their house or their apartment or, you know, buy things in the community. Like it's just, it's a, it's a vicious cycle, this capitalism thing. But, you know, Mm -hmm. because we're all been doing it for so long, if we start attacking things that feed into the vicious cycle, it's, it's going to have ripple effects on everybody. Yeah. The monster with 21 faces continued to send out clues and taunting letters to the media and police with one on April 23rd, 1984, even stating what type of typewriter they were using when they wrote their letters. Oh, they're very much a pick-me girl. Yeah. A pick-me goyle. The pan writer typewriter, which used the hiragana syllabary, was important because it was a very rare and obsolete style of typewriter. All the letters were also written in the Osaka dialect, which is known for being able to communicate emotion and humor. They once instructed Glico employees to arrive at a particular phone booth at a specific time to receive further instructions. But when police disguised as employees showed up, no phone call was ever made. The following day, another letter was received stating, quote, You thought you could fool us dressed up in your nice businessmen's blue suits, acting like salarymen, but those shifty eyes gave you away, end quote. Okay, spicy. In one letter, the group stated that they'd burned 15 boxes of cyanide-tainted glico chocolates and taken another box off a store shelf in Osaka. On June 26, 1984, it seemed the extortionists had grown bored of torturing Izaki and had instead called for a ceasefire. What? In a letter they wrote, quote, To our fans throughout Japan, we're satisfied. The president of Glico has already gone around with his head hanging down long enough. We would like to forgive him. In our group, there's a four-year-old kid. Every day he cries for Glico. We ha- also haven't eaten any for a long time. And we used to eat it all the time. It's a drag to make a kid cry because he is deprived of the candy he loves. So we're also really upset. It would be great if we could forgive Glico so the supermarkets could sell their products again. Japan has gotten terribly hot and humid. So when our quote-unquote work is done, we want to go to Europe, Geneva, 
Paris, London, we'll be in one of those places. The police have done a good job. Hang in there and don't give up. Even Sherlock Holmes couldn't beat us, the monster with 21 faces. If you read the story Kaijin Neomenso, The Fiend with 20 Faces, you'll get a lot smarter. The police's European tour. Let's go to Europe to catch the monster with 21 faces. Let's bring Pocky, the traveler's friend, delicious Glico products. We're eating them too. See you in January of next year. End quote. I hate it. It's just, it's so narcissistic and so school ground bully and just, mm-hmm. I, 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 oh, I hate it. It's, it, I, yeah, that, uh, yeah. It's someone that's bored with their life. Someone with too much time on their hands. Too much time, a typewriter, potentially untreated or undiagnosed narcissistic personality disorder. On top mm-hmm. of that, just someone who could use their energy in a more positive way for society and they're choosing not to. Instead, they're wasting time, resources, energy, adding trauma. I, zero to ten, would not recommend. This turned out to be just another red herring. They would, in fact, go after six more food manufacturers. I'm shaking my head. I hate them. Yep. I'm yep. over it. I don't, I don't like it. Leave, <laughs> leave the food industry alone. Some of us like to eat. I know. <laughs> the first to be hit was the Marudai Food Company. Unlike Glico, they agreed to pay the money to make the harassment stop. Oh. Marudai set up a police sting operation to capture whoever was working for the extortion ring. So on June 28, 1984, an investigator posing as a Marudai ham employee took 50 million yen and boarded a train in Osaka headed towards Kyoto. The drop-off point was going to be marked with a white flag along the train tracks, at which point the employee was ordered to throw the money from the train. Hmm. So I'm assuming I'm like a case of some sort. I, I would hope so. It's like a deal or no deal briefcase. They're just throwing out the train. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like a big duffel bag. Yeah. It was on this train that one of only two clues in this case was discovered. A man who became known as the fox-eyed man for his large fox-like eyes. While on the train, the undercover officer noted a large fit man who was acting suspiciously although he was followed by police when he disembarked and boarded a train headed back to Osaka, they lost him. He was spotted again by another officer at Kyoto who attempted to tail him, but he once again was able to give investigators the slip. I'm shaking my head again. Just, (laughs) I don't like, I don't like it. In September 1984, the monster with 21 faces targeted Morinaga Company, who is best known for their fruit-flavored, taffy-like haichu candy, and demanded $400,000. Okay. When the candy supplier refused, the following letter was sent to media outlets across Japan on October 8th. Quote, To moms throughout Japan, in autumn, when appetites are strong, sweets are really delicious. When you think of sweets, no matter what you say, it's morinaga. We've added some special flavor. The flavor of potassium cyanide is a little bitter. It won't cause tooth decay, so buy the sweets for your kids. We've attached a notice on these bitter sweets that they contain poison. 
we've put 20 boxes in stores from Hakata to Tokyo, end quote. What did the kids do to deserve this? Right. I'm just wondering. Like, I, I, I understand it's not about the children. It, it's not about anything other than trying to get a couple thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars or even a million dollars. Mm-hmm. Leave the kids out of this. Yeah. Just, ugh. They're the worst kind of people. The news had retailers and police all over the country checking their stock of Morinaga candy. And this time, the monster with 21 faces was telling the truth. Wow. Okay. No bluffing. Police discovered boxes of Morinaga angel pies and choco balls with extra labels in Kyoto, Osaka, Kobe, and Tokyo. The labels read, Danger contains poison. You'll die if you eat this. Signed, The Monster with 21 Faces. It's weird to me that they did that. Like, do you, this is interesting because do you think that had they actually wanted something to happen, they just wouldn't put the labels in? Yeah. It's very attention seeking in a weird way. I don't know how else to describe it. That might be a better way to describe it, but it's just, we did this. They actually felt followed through with doing it that way. But why? I'm not saying it's good that like it would have been better that they didn't because people probably wouldn't have died. Kids would have died. Yeah. But why go through that effort? It just seems excessive. Unlike previous threats, this time the candies actually did contain cyanide. Between October 1984 and February 1985, 21 packages containing cyanide-laced candies were located. That's like prime candy season two. Bastards. Mm-hmm. As if this wasn't terrifying enough, the group sent more letters to media outlets, letting the public know in no uncertain terms that they meant business when they said that next time there wouldn't be labels on the deadly candy. Mm, so that's maybe why they did it. They're like, oh, this time we'll label it, but just wait. Next time we won't, and we might not say anything. Smart. Mm-hmm. Assholes. They're smart assholes. On October 7th, security footage was captured in a store in Osaka of a man wearing a baseball hat placing glico chocolate on the store shelf when the letters about the poison candy had been released. Hmm. The news of the videotaped man was made public on October 15th. Due to the bad light and low quality of the lens of the security camera, not to mention the fact that the store had reused the same tape over and over again for the past year, it was hard to glean more information about the man in question. The video was sent to the state-of-the-art labs of NHK, which is Japan's national public television, hmm. but the image could only be improved slightly. All that they were able to glean of the person in question was that he was a man in a Yomuri Giants baseball cap wearing glasses, had permed hair, and appeared to be around 170 centimeters tall. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Just like Glico before them, Morinaga Company soon found itself suffering from boycotts and lost profits, with their stocks dropping around 22%. I mean, whoever is responsible for this is getting what they want in the se- in the sense that they're watching these companies suffer, right? Like, I, I picture someone mm-hmm. who's, like, very anti-capitalist, people making mm-hmm. money, you know, eat the rich, but... I just don't like the way they're going about it. The fox-eyed man was spotted again during a money exchange with the House Food Corporation in November of 1984. 
the company worked with the police when the extortion ring demanded $410,000 be delivered to a rest stop near Otsu on the Mishin Expressway. They were to hide the money in a can under a white cloth. Although the cloth was there, the can wasn't, so officers called off the operation. Okay, fair enough, I guess. It was later discovered that officers from the Shiga Prefecture Police had investigated a suspicious vehicle near where the money was supposed to be dropped. They saw a station wagon with its engine running, but the lights were off. As they got closer, they saw a man sitting in the front seat wearing a gold cap low over his eyes. He was using a pair of wireless headphones plugged into a wireless receiver that was in the passenger seat. The man drove off and the police gave chase, but they lost him. The stolen car was found abandoned at Kusatsu Station, and the receiver was being used to listen in on police from the six surrounding prefectures, including the one where the drop was taking place. Snap. Oh, snap. Okay. It's when you were explaining the setup with the car, I got the song Scrubs by TLC stuck in my head. For some odd reason, I don't want no scrubs. Scrub isn't gonna go. No love, no love on me. Turn in the passenger side, listen to the police. Trying to <laughs> poison kids. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Extort money from me. There we go. There we go. We'll workshop it. We'll, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> we'll workshop it. <laughs> we'll work it. The monster with 21 faces went on to demand 100 million yen from Fujiya Company and 50 million yen from Surugaya, other candy companies. In January of 1985, the composite sketch of the fox-eyed man was released to the public, a man named Manabu Miyazaki, who had family ties with the Yakuza and bore a striking resemblance to the sketch, was brought in for questioning. His alibis checked out, and he was later released. Hmm. Damn. Damn in the sunset. It would be nice if they caught someone, but obviously if he's not responsible, then good that he, you know, wasn't illegally held. But, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Shoji Yamamoto, the former superintendent of the Shiga Prefecture branch of the MPA, took the failure of his officers to apprehend the suspect so personally that on August 7th, 1985, he went into his backyard where he doused himself with kerosene and lit himself on fire. Whoa, that's intense and a lot. Oh my gosh, the amount of guilt and, oh, that breaks my heart. As you can imagine, he did not survive. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so sad. I truly mean, like, that's, yeah. That's awful. That's awful. Like, that's, fuck. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Five days later, in what would be their final letter, the monster with 21 faces mocked the man's death. No. Get wrecked. Are you serious? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. These people... If it's more than one person, they're awful. If it's one person, they're they're awful. Like, they're just... Yeah. Wow. Okay. Quote, Yamamoto of Shiga Prefecture Police died. How stupid of him. We've got no friends or secret hiding place in Shiga. It's Yoshino or Shikata who should have died. What have they been doing for as long as one year and five months? Don't let bad guys like us get away with it. There are many more fools who want to copy us. No career Yamamoto died like a man. 
So we decided to forget about torturing food-making companies. It's not us, but someone copying us. We are bad guys. That means we've got more to do other than bullying companies. It's more fun to lead a bad man's life, end quote. Wherever this person or these people are, I sincerely hope every single day they are stepping on Lego. And, oh, God, yeah. And, and, you know, even worse things because that is just get therapy. Do something other than that. Like I said before, the amount of energy and time you're putting into all this negative crime and harassment, you could twist that positively and throw it into society and actually have something really amazing, I'm sure, come out of it. Like, I just, I don't, I don't understand. I don't get it. Yeah. I don't like yeah. it. After that, nothing. No more letters. No more scares. It was like they just disappeared. Wow. During the investigation into the case, 1.3 million national and local police from five prefectures investigated 125,000 suspects, ranging from disgruntled Glico employees who lost their jobs following a merger of two Glico subsidiaries, to stock manipulators out to drive down the cost of shares, to people with a personal vendetta against Izaki himself. The more outrageous suspects included North Korean secret agents and the Yakuza. Huh. Okay. I know. Interesting. It was random. That's random. <laughs> Every single one of them was cleared, but several theories were developed as a result of the interviews and tips that poured in. Unfortunately, none of the 28,300 tips, which were all followed up on, panned out. Hmm. That's awful. One theory was that it was Izaki himself, and according to Sichi Tagawa, the then head of the National Public Safety Commission, he told the Mainichi newspaper, quote, right from the beginning, we haven't been getting much help from the Glico president, end quote. Interesting. Well, I mean, I, I can understand why they think maybe, but also the man was dragged out of his bathtub mid probably bubble bath. His wife, daughter, <laughs> and mother were gagged and tied up. Forgive him if he might be a little traumatized. Or not willing to, like, dive into that kind of trauma. Well, that's the thing, too, right? I mean, this is the 80s and, and mm -hmm. a, you know, country that's, I don't want to make assumptions, but a country that isn't maybe already historically known to be as supportive of mental health. I could be super wrong. Mm -hmm. I, like, I, I say this as if I know everything I don't, but also a time frame where worldwide mental health is just not looked at. I mean, yep. they could be very well right. Maybe he, maybe he was behind it, but I just, it doesn't really make sense. Like, why would, why would you do that? Like, why? You would lose so much yeah. money. Yeah. What would he stand to gain yeah, by doing no that? Outward motive that has a solid foundation. Mm -hmm. Listen, we ain't no detectives, but call yeah. like see it. It just doesn't make no damn sense. Just makes no damn sense. To this day, the identity of the person or people responsible for the monster with 21 faces remains a mystery. During the 17-month-long ordeal, no one was ever poisoned, no money was ever exchanged, although several drops had been made, and no one has ever been caught. And with the statute of limitations expired for both the kidnapping and the poisoning of the candy. Oh, that sucks. Even if anyone came forward, 
they wouldn't face any charges. Wow. Okay. So that's a pain in the ass. It just, it sounds like this is literally the biggest, longest schoolyard bully session in the entire mm-hmm. world. Oh. And one man lost his life. Well, like, association lost his life because of it. Like, that's that's fucked up. Yeah. That's really yeah. fucked up. I don't like that. Katsuhisa Izaki, who is still president of the Glico Group, told the Japan Times in 2000, quote, I haven't forgotten the crime entirely, but I hardly remember it in my daily life, end quote. Hmm. His message to the monster with 21 faces, if they're still out there, was to never, quote, repeat this kind of crime, end quote, ever again. If I was, if I was him, I would say a lot worse for a lot yeah. longer. <laughs> In many forms. As a final note on this case, I'll share with you this interesting quote from a November 14th, 1984 letter. Quote, who are we? Sometimes a policeman, sometimes a violent gang, sometimes a factory hand, sometimes a kidnapper. But our true identity is the mystery man with 21 faces. End quote. You know, you can self-publish on Amazon if you just want to write a book. You can just say that. Like, I don't – you don't need to do this. Mm-hmm. I just don't – the biggest definition of a pick-me girl is this Is this person or people, this this group of people. Look at me. We're fake yep. poison candy to get millions. Ha, ha, ha. Is that fun? No, it's not. It's awful. Wow. That – I've heard of the name before. But I've uh-huh. never, I don't think I've actually heard about the case. So thank you for telling me about that. And well done covering yeah. it. I think you did phenomenal. I'm thank angry. You. So it enraged. I know. <laughs> to no degree. I know. I got really mad when I was researching it. I'm just like, this is so fucked. This is yeah. so fucked. And like, that's why you wanted to tell me about it <laughs> and tell our listeners. I know. Like, hey, everyone's going to be real pissed right now. Oh, I was just man. like, this case has it all. Yeah, like, and the fact that it's unsolved is just the biggest kick in the pants. And also that even if, like I said, even if the people come forward and they're like, "I did it," they won't face any criminal charges Nothing. at all. That's so annoying, and that's why that's why I think in some cases, like I understand the legalities of why that's an option in different countries and states and provinces and what have you. Sometimes mm-hmm. it just doesn't do the rest of us a favor and i don't know if i'm coming off mm-hmm. mean and saying that but i just it i mean think of you know unsolved murder cases where it's like oh mm-hmm. the statute of limitations it's like okay but like someone died why yeah. why no just if yeah i oh my blood pressure is high um <laughs> and i hate to say it but it's only gonna get higher with my case Oh, no. All right. Yeah, my case sucks. It's not as long because there's not (laughs) as much information. And we kind of, I guess I should have mentioned this in the intro, but we kind of went two different countries. Like, we didn't didn't stick around North America like I think we've done in our previous crossovers. So this week, I'm going to be tackling the crimes associated with a Greek serial killer. Greek serial killer over here. I've never, I don't think I've ever covered anything out of Greece on the show, so... This is a new, a new, new. Nice. Yep. So this Greek serial killer who has been referred to as Grace's very own Jack the Ripper. Oh, damn. Yep. Specifically dubbed the Athens Ripper. This guy just sucks. And we don't know a lot Mm. about his history. So it makes it harder to try and understand 
what he's what he's coming from or where what what was going on really mm-hmm. before we dive in my section as mentioned will be a bit short just because there's not a heck of a lot of information out there this could be for very different reasons but regardless it's a case that I still want to highlight having said that let me tell you all about what I could learn surrounding the life and crimes of Antonis Daglas and I'm saying that in a very Canadian way because I don't I don't know if I could pronounce it or add Greek to it because I'm not, I think I'm 0% Greek, if anything. So I am negative percent Greek. I'm, no shade. I wish I was because, I mean, Greece looks beautiful and, you know, their food is great and everything is great. I wouldn't mind having some olive colored skin. Exactly. I mean, they're all beautiful people. So white. It hurts. I know. So white. I know. So Caucasian. So due to potential coarse language, graphic content, discussions of violent crimes, gender-based violence, and violence against sex workers, because, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Listener discretion is advised. So proceed with caution, everybody. Now, born sometime in 1974, Antonis entered the world with little known of what his childhood and early years were like. As mentioned numerous times, this is what we're given. It's unclear who his parents were, whether they were childhood sweethearts when they had Antonis. Maybe they, I don't know, hooked up on a one-night stand kind of situation. It's it's not really Hard sure. Yeah, it's, it's not clear how their lives once tangled. But the only thing I was able to find in relation to his parents was that his mother may have been a sex worker. Okay. And that's alleged that I don't know for certain. Based on what we now know, Antonis had a dark side, which seemed to seep outward publicly when he was only 14 years old, which, not great. I mean, no, it's not great that you have a dark side, period, and this dark side is different than your emo phase, let me just tell you that for free. This is a very aggressive dark side. Based on what I gathered online, in 1988, Antonis was arrested for seducing a minor, and again, he was arrested Mm. in 1989 for attacking a group of men with a knife. Oh, geez. Yeah. Zero to 100, real quick. Mm -hmm. He's already a pretty high-risk offender in the sense that his crimes are random in terms of victims and violent. There's not really a lot of motive. It's, like, all over the place. In my mind, he's high-risk. Like, he would be someone... If he was on probation or some kind of parole, you would want to see him on a regular basis because it's like, okay, this guy's not gonna do well unless you offer supports and get involved pretty quick and pretty rapidly and repetitively sadly his crimes only get worse from here oh no as a young adult antonis obtained work as a truck driver presumably meaning he was given access to a vehicle and was set to drive all over the country maybe his work took him outside of greece i'm not sure most resources point him as working around athens Now, what I am sure about is what happens next in his dark timeline that takes us to 1992. 1992, the year of Mortal Kombat, the year of Bill Clinton and Wayne's World. Great year. Mm -hmm. But meanwhile, across the Atlantic Ocean, Antonis began what many would describe as a killing spree. Oh, geez. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not very Wayne's World of him, to say the least. Mm -hmm. Not very party time or excellent. Absolutely not. No, the complete opposite. So Antonis would begin preying on Athens 
sex workers, stalking them before engaging with them. So he would basically, if he, let's hypothetically say he saw a sex worker one night, he would follow her around, he would drive around, mm-hmm. he would kind of keep tabs, and then eventually he would, en- like, he would approach them and, you know. Do bad things. Do bad things. Reports claim he would sexually assault his victims before sometimes strangling them, mutilating them, and robbing them. Not always in that order, and it wasn't consistent every single time. The only consistent thing is that he would mutilate the body one way or another, and he would sexually assault them. So he's not so great. I'm seeing the Ripper connection now. Mm -hmm. Yep. Absolutely. So in total, Antonis would murder three women and attempt to murder another six between 1992 to 1995. That's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot more than there needs to be, and the needs to be number is zero. Mm -hmm. I may have interpreted the next piece of information correctly, so if I did and someone can verify it happened differently, please let me know. I don't pretend to know everything. And I mean, I'm just going off the information based online, as we all do in this podcasting world. Mm-hmm. But one of Antonis's almost murder victims, a woman named Anne Hampson, was able to escape from Antonis after he had attacked her. Some accounts claim that Anne was a sex worker. Others indicate he confused her for a sex worker. Regardless, what's important is that Anne went to police who were apparently quick to get Antonis. So she escapes she bravely goes to police after being traumatized by this, I don't know, wet napkin with legs of a human. And she's like, this is what happened. This is the guy, what have you. His official arrest date was January 21st of 1996. One resource noted, quote, after his arrest, Daglis confessed to the rape, strangulation, and dismemberment of two women and the attempted murder of a further six and having robbed all eight women. So there's kind of discrepancies. Like some resources say it was three, some say it was two. Regardless, Mm -hmm. he would be charged with the murder and mutilation of Eleni Pangatalapulo, who was 29 years old, and Athena Lazaro, who was 26 years old. So like young women who... Mm -hmm. Like, had a whole life ahead of them, Mm -hmm. who he just completely took off this world because, well, we don't really know why, so. Yeah. When speaking with officials, Antonis noted he had picked up Lini in October of 1995 in the Kolonaki district within Athens before he drove to a parking lot and strangled her to death while they were having sex. And a direct quote from Murderpedia, quote, Antonis said he later dismembered the body with a hacksaw and collected the body parts into several plastic bags, which he dumped near a camping site on the Athens-Lamia National Highway. The victim's remains were identified a few days later by relatives, end quote. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, he's just the worst. And I think that it's hard for me to understand in these circumstances, like, why? Like, I mean, the the act itself, why? That There's so many different yeah. reasons why. But the dismemberment, it's like you have so much hatred and anger in you that you would literally take a person apart physically and demolish any any part of their yeah. former structure, you know? Like, that, that takes a lot of anger and yeah. hatred. Yeah. When it came to Athena, things seemed eerily similar to Alini, except her dismembered body was found on Christmas Day 
out of all the days oh, of the Jesus. year in 1995. Yep. I, I didn't make the connection with the actual Jesus on Christmas Day, but. Now that you mention it, yep. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah. Out of all that's, days. Yeah. That's so fucked. That's yep. so fucked. During his court proceedings, Antonis stated the following, quote, I hated all prostitutes. That was his lingo, which is very outdated in Mm -hmm. case you needed to be reminded, and continued to hate them. I went to meet them for sex, but suddenly other pictures came into my head. I heard voices which ordered me to kill. Once I thought about strangling my fiancé, but I restrained myself, end quote. The fact he had a a fiancé is mind-boggling. Absolutely. And this quote, actually, the reason why I wanted to obviously highlight it and kind of, yeah, highlight it really, is because we learn more about him. I mean, we learn that he had a fiance and mental health problems potentially i mean again i'm not an expert in mental health i've worked in mental health i you know i i, I just what he's saying it's like ooh, this is a flight that maybe there's something going on in your little noggin you know that maybe mm-hmm. uh should be treated by a professional licensed yeah. physician psychiatrist mm-hmm. psychotherapist mm-hmm. yeah i'm not saying what he might have because who knows but yeah, there's just a lot that we don't know, but what we do know, it's like, ooh, okay, mm, that's a red flag. That's a concern. That's a, that's mm-hmm. a, you know, and just because he might have mental health, that in itself doesn't mean it's a red flag, but these things adding up, you know? Yeah. So it was during his proceedings that he also apparently explained that he hated sex workers because his mother was one. There it is. There okay. it is. Yep. There it is. So it's... It's hard to make assumptions as to, like, what his childhood could have been like. We could sit here and we could try and come up with different theories. Yeah. Obviously, there is something between him and his mom and her line of potential work that had a negative impact to some degree in one way or another. And I think that's an assumption we can all maybe mutually agree on. Yeah. So... Ultimately, Antonis, who some reports claim he was only 21 or 22 years old at the time, was found guilty and given a life sentence plus 25 years. They're like, we don't care. We want your ass in prison beyond the life sentence. So suck it. However, Mm -hmm. however, however, Antonis has not served his sentence fully. On Saturday, August 2nd of 1997, staff within the psychiatric department of the Dallas Judicial Prison discovered that Antonis had died by suicide. Of course. Yep. It turns out he and his cellmate made an apparent suicide pact, both ending their lives at the same time. Now, I couldn't find much about the cellmate, like who they were or any any information further about this but needless to say it's definitely a weird turn of events for lack of a better description i mean what are the odds and like what why you know it just and i say it's weird because it doesn't make any sense and when it doesn't make sense my mind's like that's weird why 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 not why why not know more so antonis was maybe only 22 or 23 years old when he died meaning he only served a year or two of his life sentence so he took out two to three victims, like two to three people. He traumatized six in the process, and he only served maybe two, three years. Make that make sense. That's so messed up. Yeah. 
During my investigation into Antonis, I kept asking myself who he reminded me of case-wise because I just kept thinking, okay, this reminds me of another serial killer due to the victim profile and the method. Obviously, Jack mm-hmm. the Ripper because duh, that was already that. That's what everyone online was yep. saying, you know. But I first thought he kind of reminded me of Samuel Little, who I've discussed on Weird Distractions. Sam Little was an American serial killer who was active between 1970 to 2005. Later, confessing that he murdered 93 women, primarily sex workers. And for those wondering, Sam Little's mother was also a sex worker, so there was that kind of similarity. Yep. But Antonis also reminded me of Gary Ridgway. Oh, yeah. Yep, known by media outlets as the Green River Killer. His victim profiles were primarily sex workers whose bodies he would, like Antonis, carelessly dump. All this being said, I think we need to protect sex workers a hell of a lot more than we have historically. Yep. And Mm -hmm. I hope Antonis, Gary, Sam, and all the rest of them in that category are getting the punishment they deserve in the afterlife with all of the Lego and no candy. Mm-hmm. Just cyanide. Just straight cyanide yep. candy. <laughs> and yep. that that's the case. That's all that's all I got today. Mine was a shorty, but boy, I was pissed writing this. That's you know, and it's I don't want to make assumptions about the lives of sex workers. Mm-hmm. But typically when we hear about stuff like this, they weren't in these sort of professions by choice. Right. And yeah. so to like hear about, you know, just the blatant disregard of life, like, yeah, disregard yeah. of life for these people that already probably don't have it that great. Mm-hmm. And to just treat them like they don't matter. That kind yep. of stuff just is awful. It breaks your heart, right? Like at the end of the day, it's, you know, unless you're a middle to upper class Caucasian female with blonde hair and blue eyes and, you know, you're cute, like no one gives a shit. Like I hate to say it, or unless you're a child too, like some some kids that also fit that description, right? Like it's, yep. it's that pretty blonde girl syndrome where, you know, it's, if you're black, if you're indigenous, if you're, you know, a Latino, if you're a sex worker, if you are lower class, like lower income, if you, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's those things yep. that we as a society, and I say that like almost like a worldwide kind of wraparound, we don't look at those mm-hmm. cases or we don't treat those people the same way legally that we should and we don't protect them the same way we should. And I know obviously things have changed from the 80s to now, but I think it's one of those ever-growing things that we as humans need to continue to learn how to be better to one another. And who yep. knows, maybe Antonis, if he got the proper care and support, maybe he would have been a good guy. But something happened yeah. and we just don't know what that was. And then now here we are, almost, yeah. uh, when was 1997? Was that like 25, 6? Almost 30 years. So, like, think about that. Yeah, like, it's supposed almost, to be 30 years. 30 years, yeah. Yeah. You know, since he died. And it's like, wow, what What do we do? Like, yeah, it just, it blew my mind. Yeah. On that note, <laughs> thanks for doing this crossover episode with me. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for light, doing it with me. The lighthearted, you know, great for the January blues kind of mm-hmm. special. Just easing you into February. Yeah. You know. 
Absolutely. For weird distractions listeners who haven't for some reason tuned into Yule Crime, where can they find you? So you can find us pretty much wherever you catch weird distractions. We also are at yeoldcrimepodcast.com. That's old with an E. Yep. And you can find us on most social media. We're on X, Threads, <laughs> Instagram, Facebook, TikTok at Ye Old Crime Podcast, with the exception of X. It's just Ye Old Crime Pod. Yeah. Fair enough. And yield crime listeners, you can find me, Weird Distractions, basically all the same places Lindsay listed off, except for I deleted the TikTok account because I just wasn't able to keep up. Mm -hmm. And one little thing before I think we can sign off, unless there's anything you wanted to add, but Weird Distractions listeners, next week's episode is going to be one with a big old update little bit of housekeeping so if you are an avid listener and you're like hey what's alex talking about please tune in obviously after you catch up on all the yield crime episodes but <laughs> yeah please tune in because there is going to be a big announcement over there so uh, the week after this episode comes out and that's it and yield crime listeners make sure you tune into weird distractions to hear the big the big news the big news and without that i think that's it so thanks for tuning in Sayonara. Hope we didn't depress you too much today. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about it. Sorry about <laughs> it. <laughs> Shall we combine our closers? Yeah. Like, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Alex. And if you need a distraction, we got you. Bye. If you've enjoyed today's Weird Distractions episode, please consider telling your friends, family, coworkers, anyone who you think needs a distraction about the show. Doing so is one of the best ways to support this show for free. Speaking of supporting the podcast for free, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, Spotify, or whatever platform you're tuning into. When it comes to any corrections that need to be made or perhaps some constructive feedback, please feel free to send me an email at weirddistractionspodcast at outlook.com. Are you looking to rep some Weird Distractions merch? Please check out the link in today's show notes for the bonfire link. It's never a bad time to treat somebody you love or perhaps treat yourself. Although the Patreon page is currently on an indefinite hiatus, I just want to thank the previous patrons of the show. Tom, Bailey, Angela, John, Alicia, Lynn, Shadow, Courtney, Cheryl, Susan, Jennifer, and Kristen. Thank you for supporting the Patreon page. I truly appreciate every single one of you. For those on social media, Weird Distractions can be found on Instagram, Twitter, Threads, TikTok, and Facebook. Lastly, I'm always wanting to hear from you. I'm looking to hear about your weird paranormal encounters, maybe too close to home true crime cases, and other weird experiences that you're willing to share to be featured on a future Listener Distractions episode. No matter how short, how long, spooky, or just weird, send your tales my way to, again, the show's email address being weirddistractionspodcast at outlook.com. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, if you need a distraction, I got you. Bye.